Good morning to all seven house churches of the Edge Church and anyone else online who's joining us today from various places. I want you to think back to your family of origin for a minute. Most of us grew up in homes that had a particular set of house rules. Now, those might have been written, or maybe they were just passed on through stories that created expectations for household behaviors, but either way, I'm confident to say that they did exist. In my family of origin, my dad and I knew that we were never supposed to walk on a carpet after my mom vacuumed. She wanted to see the design in the carpet, and she wanted to see it for days. I also knew in my family that if someone was being picked on, that I had to make that situation my business, no matter how scared I felt inside. I think that code sort of came from my dad's time in the Navy. When he was on a ship in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, one day, uh, a guy about his size was pushing around a really small man, and my dad confronted him and said, why don't you pick on someone your own size? Well, the guy did, and my dad ended up with a severely broken jaw that had to be wired shut for six weeks. But he proudly told me over the years that that Golden Gloves boxer never picked on anyone else on that ship again. My dad taught me that stories always stand with the vulnerable. In my house, with my three daughters, uh, the girls learned very early on never to ask for the first piece of pizza. They learned to never ask for the biggest serving um, or the best of something when others were around. There were a lot of tears around that when they were little, uh, but they would tell you today that they live by that Shorey family code. The expectation is that Shoreys do not insist on being first. My name is Neil, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Edge. Today, we're continuing in our series called Christ in You, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, as we get insight into what Christians are supposed to look like, according to the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Just as our families have placed expectations on us, on what it meant to carry our last names, God also has expectations for us as we carry his. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into the passage. God, help us to see that we get this chance to live differently. I pray, Lord, that you would show us any areas of our lives that we've sort of given back over to enemy territory. And I pray that you'd help us to reclaim that ground today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This passage is all about how people around us should experience us in ever-increasing measures as Christians. 
The first 11 verses of the passage describe the clothes that we're supposed to take off when, when we become Christians, all these characteristics that we're supposed to let go of. And then we enter into this space that really could be kind of called the Christian dress code. Notice that all of these characteristics are meant to be experienced by others as we interact with them. In, in this case, it's not the thought that counts. You've heard that before. It's the thought that counts. In this case, it's not. It's about putting on these behaviors and demonstrating them with actual practice. I love a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Um, he was a physician poet, and he said, Some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. These teachings of the Apostle Paul in Colossians would agree with that quote. These behaviors that God wants us to exhibit may all be experienced by others through our lives, graciously revealing to them moment by moment the life of God being formed in us and wooing them to his side. That's always the goal. God wants our lives to be unique. He wants our lives to look different from others in the world so that others would say, hey, they live differently than I do. What is it that makes them different? We don't have time to delve into all of these qualities in um, Colossians 3. Even in a few sermons, we couldn't cover them very well. But I would encourage you to study each of them and look to see how Jesus lived them out. And I, I know a couple things will happen. You're going to be challenged and you're going to be encouraged as you actively participate in the renovation of your lives with the partnership of the Spirit of God. Today, I really feel called to focus on one characteristic, and it's a characteristic of forgiveness. Paul really camps out on it here. He keeps coming back to it. We're, we're called to, to forgive because we've been forgiven. Remember, forgiveness is something that is essential to our lives, so it's really, really important for us to get it and put it into practice. But it's also important that we don't settle for a form of forgiveness that ultimately really is just a cheap imitation of what Jesus-centered forgiveness looks like. So what is forgiveness? The definition for it is, uh, by psychologists, they say forgiveness is a decision to release feelings of resentment and any desire for vengeance against a person who has harmed you. So it's a decision to release feelings of resentment, desire for vengeance against a person who's harmed you, right? So if you've ever been harmed by someone, you know that that's really easy to say and really hard to do. So for the rest of today, we're going to talk about what forgiveness is and what it's not, why it's good news for all of our relationships, both on earth and in our eternal connection with the Lord forever. We're going to start with the difficult news first, and it's our first point, that forgiveness is required of all Christians. Forgiveness is required of all Christians. There's a passage we're going to uh, jump into. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. It's a long passage, but it's really the story that Jesus uses to illustrate how big God's forgiveness is of us and how much forgiveness he expects us to show in our lives. It says, Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, here's the thing. Rabbis of Peter's day thought that three was the magic number for how many times you were called to forgive. So Peter was really suggesting that he, kind of thinking that he was super spiritual because he's like, no, I'm not going to suggest three times. How about seven, Jesus? Surely that covers me. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned to pay the debt. But the name fell down, uh, but the uh, servant fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is a hard story, but the heart of the gospel of Christ is the love of God expressed through the life of Christ. It's so central to our faith that Jesus tells us that we can't live in right relationship with God if we live in a state of unforgiveness. But Maybe you're thinking this, but you don't know what he did to me. It's true, I don't. But what if they murder your family member or they drive drunk and they kill your daughter? Even then, we are required to forgive in order to be in a relationship with God. That sounds really hard, and it is. But this is where religious leaders tend to read things into the Bible instead of what the Bible really says and demonstrates through the life of Jesus. Maybe you've been hurt by someone and you went to your pastor or or to someone else who's really well-meaning and they told you something like this, you need to just forgive and forget. And what that's meant practically to you is this, that you're really supposed to just allow that person right back into your life to continue hurting you with no recourse. If you've been taught that that's what forgiveness means, you've been taught a non-Jesus-centered way to relate to others, And that's bad news for you, and it's bad news for them. And that leads us to our second point today. They're very closely related. Forgiveness is not enabling bad behavior, and it's not equivalent to reconciliation. I'll say that again. Forgiveness is not enabling bad behavior, and it's not equivalent to reconciliation. I remember a time um, in, in in my life when I was abandoned by some of my closest friends. Maybe, maybe you've experienced that before. I felt so desperate for friendship. One day, many months later, I ran into the big group of them and we seemed to pick up where we left off, almost as if nothing had ever happened. But the problem was they never addressed their treatment of me. And to be honest, I didn't have the guts to say anything about it. No, it wasn't because I somehow thought that they'd changed. I just really badly wanted people to hang out with. And ultimately, my desire to not be alone led me to cheapen what relationships are supposed to be about. Loyalty, honesty, connection, and trustworthiness. 
Do you think God is that way with us? Do you think that he looks at us and he says, oh, you've lived your life as my enemy just doing your own thing. You've lived your own way, but it's no big deal. Don't worry about that. Welcome home. That sounds great. I think we'd love to not be accountable to God, but that's not what we see from the testimony of Scripture. John 3.16 tells us, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That sounds really simple. It is simple, and it's not quite as simple as what people like to make it out to be. Belief is the key, is the key word. But this belief is not some sort of intellectual assent like, as to a fact, like, hey, I technically believe that God exists, therefore I go to heaven. That's not what this kind of belief is, but it's belief that leads to submission to a person, and it's not just any person, it is the person, Jesus. God will never ever enable you or me or anyone else to continue on in bad behavior or in the sin that devalues and destroys our relationships. It just wouldn't even be loving for him to do that. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, John the Baptist illuminated this idea. When Jewish leaders came to watch him baptize, really, they were trying to get dirt on him and get him in trouble. John the Baptist said, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Now listen, your behaviors don't save you, but they are evidence that you have changed. God will never turn a blind eye to sin. It goes against the perfection of his nature to do it. And it goes against what it cost him on the cross. Jesus faced our sin head on and it led him to the cross. He died for our sin but he didn't ignore it then and he doesn't enable it now. Forgiveness should never be equated with reconciliation because the nature of reconciliation demands a response by both parties. And there are times when you will offer forgiveness to someone and they aren't sorry at all for what they did. You certainly wouldn't want to be reconciled to someone who's not sorry for what they did to you. There are times in our relationships Maybe you've had one of these. When someone has done something that makes it unwise and maybe unsafe for you to be in any sort of relationship with that person again. Reconciliation is not a foregone conclusion of forgiveness and it should never be conflated with it. Romans chapter 12 verses 17 and 18 speaks to this dynamic. Paul says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. What's Paul really saying here? He's intimating something. Paul is saying that there will be people that you can't live at peace with. Now, he doesn't spell that out, but he really does. The essence of do all you can to live at peace with everyone, what he's saying is you can only handle what's up to you. There will be people that you can't live at peace with. And you're not called to, to, to carry their peace. You can only carry yours. It's not entirely up to you. Forgiveness is consciously letting go of resentment and the potential for vengeance upon the person who hurt you. But you may or may not ever experience reconciliation with that person. And that sometimes is just the result of the broken world that we live in. Here's our final point today. Forgiveness is a door. Forgiveness is a door. To be in right relationship with God, 
we are required to offer forgiveness to anyone for everything they've ever done to us. And as we've talked about, that doesn't mean forgetting what they did. It doesn't mean acting like it was okay or that it didn't hurt or it didn't matter. It's also not an automatic card that people can hand you for re-entry back into your life. That is just not the nature of relationships that God has intended for us. But at the heart of the gospel is forgiveness. It's the message that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to come to earth to live among us, to show us a new way to live, and then to die for our sins and to be raised to eternal life so that one day we could be too. Let me be clear. Jesus paid the price for all people. He paid the price for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid the price for the sins of the whole world. But only some will open up the door and receive him in the forgiveness of their sins and be reconciled to God. Every single person has access to forgiveness. But not everyone has opened that door and not everyone will open that door. What on earth would keep you from opening that door today if you haven't? In my family, Shories are known, at least most of the time, for not insisting on first place. But more than anything else, what I want Shories to be known for, in my generation and every generation after me, I want them to be known as forgiven and reconciled to God and reconcilers with anyone who wants to be reconciled to us. The Apostle Paul is telling us that living peace-filled, grace-giving, forgiving lives before others is a way to show a world that is hurting and bitter and resentful that there is a new way to live and it starts with us. Maybe you've never opened the door to God's forgiveness in your life and, and been reconciled to him. You can do that right now, wherever you are, if you'd like to today. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. It says, Peter replied to the crowd, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. May the Lord bless you always as you walk in his forgiveness and you walk out what Jesus-centered forgiveness looks like with your friends and your family. God bless you.